Good morning. How's everybody doing? We good? Anybody thankful for John 3.16 in the house? Anybody thankful for it? Just a few of us. All right. I am so thankful for John 3.16. We know those are, that's one of the most iconic scriptures that we see in scripture. But it's also one of those scriptures that we kind of tend to just forget about because everybody knows it. But for God so loved the world, he loved you and I so much that he, saw, that he thought you were so worthy that he would give his one and only son for you. And not just that he would give his son, but he would take, he'd let his son take the cross for you and then come to life again for you. So that if you believe in him, that if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. What an awesome scripture. You know, I, I'm so thankful for that scripture. We tend, we tend to just kind of forget about that and forget about that moment when it was so good to us. Like, I remember when John 3.16, as a seventh grader, when John 3.16 was good to me. Because all of a sudden I realized how much God loved me. And I hope today, my prayer today is that you would see that today as well. So we're doing this series called Other 316. This series is about more than just one. There's actually a scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, all scripture is inspired by God and is good to teach us and so many other things and, and that it talks about in there. But all scripture. So the other three 16s, guess what? They were inspired by God just as much as John 3.16 was. And so we want to talk about these other three 16s in scripture and how powerful they are. Today we're going to talk about Malachi 3.16. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Malachi 3.16. And... Um, man, last week Andy talked about John 3, 16. It was so good. The greatest promise has been given to us that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. Today um, is going to be a little bit more challenging. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm okay with the challenge. <laughs> you're like, I don't know if I am, Sean. Um, you're, you're going to be. I, I promise you. God is going to do some amazing things today. So Malachi 3, 16 is what it says. It says, then... Those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. The Lord listened to, the, or listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. I'm going to read it one more time because it's really good. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. The Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to, the, to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Today, as we read this scripture and as I read through this scripture, he's talking about a certain select group of people. The ones who feared the Lord are the ones who are written on this scroll. And so today, we're going to have some fun. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. We come right now open to you. God, would you fill this place with your presence? We want more of you in our lives. God, help us to um, see the, the things in our lives that we need to push aside. God, I pray that if we've had a crazy week, God, in this moment, your peace would come over us, that we'd be able to listen to these words. God, I pray that as you speak through me, God, that you would speak to the hearts of the people here, that we would all leave this place changed today, myself included. Use me today, God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Oh yeah, and one more thing, God. Thank you for the Browns winning on Thursday. That was awesome. Um, and also, God, I pray that the Steelers, Ravens, and Bengals all lose this week. In Jesus' name, amen. How about that? The Browns won a game. Woo! I, this, uh, this isn't in my teaching, but I'm just going to share this real quick. So I was still nervous at the very end of that game that, that the Browns were going to lose. And 
But anyways, they intercepted it, and my wife was sleeping. I run in the room. I was like, they finally won! And she's like, what the? And I'm, yeah, so um, I was a little excited, to say the least, on Thursday. Um, that has nothing to do with my teaching, but um, I'm just excited. You know, Jesus saw my sorrow. No. Um, <laughs> um, so the fear of the Lord is what we're talking about today. And I, you know, I want to say this as well. A lot of times when I come up here, I feel like I tell about stories of me being afraid of things. And I want to be honest with you guys, I am not a sissy, okay? Um, Just say that first off. But I remember as a kid, um, I remember as a kid going to my neighbor's house, and there was a show on at Saturday nights at 10 o'clock called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Anybody remember the show Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. I don't know why my parents let me watch that show. Um, Because... I watched, just the other day, I watched the, the opening credits of it, and I was like, my parents, like, what in the world? I would never let my kids watch this movie. It was creepy. But anyways, um, so I used to watch this at my neighbor's house. Go to my friend's house Saturday night. We'd stay up late. We'd watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, then it was time for me to go home. And I lived a good 200 yards away from my house. And let me tell you, as soon as I shut that door, I ran for my life. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, after watching that show, I was afraid clowns were going to come out of the corn, and they were going to attack me. And the cows in the, in the pasture next door were going to somehow like bust through and eat me or something. I was afraid for my life, and I would sprint as fast as I could, as if, you know, little white Sean could outrun anything bad that was coming. I would run as fast as I could and get home and slam the door, and then I'd go, Phew. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, Okay, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Let's do this now. Um, I remember this show as well, and it scared the crap out of me. Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, I was pretty sure that all those unsolved mysteries were happening in my house, and they were like outside my door. They would tell, they would tell this crazy story about somebody getting killed and how they're still on the loose, and I was so sure in myself as my parents would kiss me goodnight and say goodnight, and they would leave. I was sure that those people were right outside my window. And I was, I was so fearful in those moments. I was so afraid. But the one thing, the one thing that always helped was light. You'd open the door, you'd crack the door open. You know, my parents would close the door, and I'd get up out of bed, and I'd open the door and crack the door so I didn't have to be in the darkness because I was, I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid that somebody was going to come. Now, in church, we talk about fear often, and we, we share this scripture where it says, For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And so today, as we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're sitting there, and we're going we're gonna to go through this. We have, we have, as the church, talked about the fear of the Lord as if it's just, oh, wow. Look at how big and awesome my God is. And I want to tell you that I don't think that's it. I don't think it's just looking at God and going, wow, God, you're awesome. Look at what you created. Now, it's part of it. It's part of the fear of the Lord, but it's not the all. There's so much more to the fear of the Lord than just looking at how awesome he is. You know, my daughters, like I was saying, my daughters have this fear of the dark as well, but the one thing that we do to help them with this fear of the dark is give them a nightlight so that, so that they won't be afraid. In our lives as Christians, I feel like we have put some, night, we have put some nightlights up in our life and we've said, this fear of God, I don't want it. I don't want to have a fear of God. And so we, put up, we maybe put up some kind of nightlights in our life so that we don't have to have this fear, this spirit of fear. No, I don't want that. 
But I truly believe that there is a real fear, a really good, healthy fear of God that every Christian, every Christian, every believer, unbeliever should have. So I'm going to give you a quick, almost like a, um, just a few maybe fears, fears of God that we should have. First, if you are an unbeliever in this room, I want to talk to you for a minute and say this. If you are an unbeliever, I believe what, through what Scripture says that you should have a healthy, real fear of God because what Scripture tells us is that the wages of sin is death, and that it separates us from God, and that if we don't believe in him, and if our sin separates us from him, that we deserve hell. That is, that is what this Bible says, and so there is a, you need to have a real fear because of that. If you are a believer in this room, if you say, I believe in Jesus, and I've given my life to him, but you are still living in sin, you have a really big reason to fear God because God sees all, judges all, and so you have a very, very big reason to fear him as well. And then if you are a believer in this room and you try your best, I understand now there are people in this room, look, we make mistakes. If, you, if you're looking for a Christian who doesn't make a mistake, you're not going to find him in this room most likely. You're not going to find him in me either. Um, but there is, you know, if you are a believer, you need to have a good fear of God, but then also you want to bring honor and glory to his name. That's what I really believe, is you have a fear of him, but then also your life wants to bring honor and glory to his name every single day of your life. And so that's just kind of what I feel when it comes to that. There's, I, there's so, this is such a big subject. If you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs 9 for me. We're going to read verse 10, or maybe it's, maybe I got that backwards. It, it's, sorry. Yeah, it's Proverbs 9, verse 10. This is what the scripture tells us about fear. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Anybody in this room want to be wise? <laughs> I saw one hand go up and everybody else was like, I'm not sure, Sean. Um, let me pray about it for a second. Um, that's the Christian answer, right? Let me pray about that. I'm not sure if I want to be wise, Sean. Um, but the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. If you want to be a wise person, the place you want to start off is by fearing the Lord. It's by fearing him. And it says, knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So this whole thing, as I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, understand that this is where it starts. Where If you want to become a wise person, whether you're a high school student, college student, or you are an adult, or you are a grandparent, wherever you're at, if you want to have a foundation of wisdom, it starts with the fear of the Lord. It starts with fearing God and understanding that he is powerful. Now, as I said, we talk about the fear of the Lord, and we, and we look at it a lot of times as if it's just a, oh, wow, God is so big. Wow, look at how awesome he is. But it's so much deeper than that. It's so much. If we, we Also turn to Acts 5. Turn to Acts 5 for me. I want to show you how it's a little bit deeper. Now, I'm going to tell you a story today. Read, not tell you a story. I'm going to read you a story out of the book of Acts. This is the early church. This is the very early church, and as, as the church there, they're dealing with some things inside. And then comes, the, then comes these two people called Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they're a married couple, and this is what happens to them. It's pretty crazy. I love it. Everybody good? I don't think you guys love me, so I'm going to keep preaching. Um, I'm holding the mic. So this is what it says. Acts 5, verse 1, it says, But there was a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought, or he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. So, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. I'd be freaked out too. Verse 6, then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out, and buried him. Like, they have zero compassion here. Like, oh, he's dead. Sorry. Somebody go get a bag. We're going to just go bury him real quick. Listen, this, and it gets, it gets even crazier, okay? In verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. How does Sapphira not know for three hours that her husband's dead? She in no point goes, hmm, wonder where Ananias is. Nothing. And, and somehow, they, they must have not been very good at gossiping back in the Bible day because no one had, no one had let her know yet that this has happened. So then um, Peter, Peter goes to her in verse 8. says, Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young man who buried your husband are just outside the door. And they will carry you out too. <laughs> Peter's like crazy. Um, verse 10. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she, that she was dead, they carried her out, had no mercy on her, and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The fear of the Lord came upon them. You might think, well, maybe they were afraid of Peter. I mean, if I was in this case, I, I, if I was in this story, I'd probably be a little afraid of Peter. I'm like, uh, I'm backing away from Peter. I'm not going to let this dude come talk to me because there's a chance I might fall over next. Um, and not like slain in the spirit kind of fall over, like carry me out kind of. Anyways, um, so, I was, so I was just, you know, but this, you look at this story. And you really see that what happens in the story is that he, they, the whole church has this fear come over them. And it's the fear of God because all of a sudden, they're all looking at themselves. They're all looking at their own hearts and saying, what if Peter notices that I, have that I am a deceptive person too, that I deceive people? What if Peter calls out the sins in my life? What if he gets to see, what if somehow God shows him some of the things that I'm doing, the lying, the gossiping, the cheating, the, all this other stuff. What if all of a sudden Peter, God shows Peter these things and then he talks to me and then I fall over? This great fear came over them. And they said, and, and it was just the fear of God, this fear of a God who is powerful, who, who is also very loving and very, very good, but then also our God is very just and he's a judge. And so they were all of a sudden looking at themselves and the fear of God arose in them. But it was a healthy fear, a healthy fear of God. You know, I, I remember as a teenager, this, for you parents who have teenagers that are about to get your license, you are not going to like this conversation possibly. Um, but, uh, but let me, let me um, reassure you, I'm still alive. Um, <laughs> but um, as a teenager, I had a little bit of a lead foot, they would say, like to drive fast, whatever. Um, but one day I was driving down Carnes Avenue, 
and I got pulled over for going 59 and a 25. Yeah. Police officer does a great job of scaring the crap out of Sean and says, you're lucky I didn't catch you going any faster. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, you didn't catch me going any faster because I was going faster. Um, he said, if I would have caught you going one mile faster, it'd been reckless stop, and I could have taken the car from you directly, like in the instant, and you've been in the back of the car. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that one mile. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus had nothing to do with that, but I felt like he did. Um, so my parents, though, at that time, my parents were gone. My parents had gone, I think, for a family reunion kind of a thing. They were gone a couple, couple hours away. So for a couple hours, I was stuck in my house afraid of my parents coming home. Anybody ever been there? Were you afraid of your mom or dad coming home because it's about to go down? Um, so I was so afraid of my parents coming home that night. And I remember when they walked in the door of thinking, I probably should just kill myself now <laughs> um, because this isn't going to be pretty. And, um, but I went to my parents, talked to my parents, was very afraid, told my parents I was going 59 and 25. That fear was a healthy fear. That fear was a good fear. My parents still loved me, still cared for me, but I had every reason to fear the consequences of what was going to happen. Another fear, my wife, I had, I had okay to talk about this, but my wife and I, when we were dating, um, I had a struggle of, of sexual temptation, of wanting to do stuff before marriage that we shouldn't have done, and she had this fear, though, and I, I talked to her afterwards, after we got married, I said, what, what made you say no? I mean, seriously, look at this, like, what made you say no? No, I'm just, <laughs> um, but I, I remember saying, to, I was just like, what made you say no? And she's like, I was afraid my dad would find out. It was a healthy fear of what, of that her dad would find out and the consequences if her dad found out that it was, it was healthy. We look at fear and the fear of God and we go, it's really unhealthy and it's not good to have this life where we're afraid that God is going to, that God is standing up in heaven watching our every move and he's got like lightning bolts flying out of his arm. He's going to zap us dead any second. That's not healthy. Kind of reminds me of bench warmers where that one dude, he's afraid of the sun and he's, so he hides himself in the closet like, it's not healthy to do that. That's not healthy. But a healthy fear of God says, understands that God is just. That as a sinner, I deserve hell possibly. Because I am a sinner and it separates me from God. The wages of sin is death. So I have to have a healthy fear and understand that God does not like that. We look at scripture in the Old Testament and you see people who would walk into the presence of God. They would walk into the temple, but they wouldn't cleanse themselves. And as they would walk into the temple, they would, they would fall flat on their face, dead. Because of the power and the, and the holiness of who God was. They had every reason to fear God. Every reason to fear God. Look at this scripture in Matthew 10, verse 28. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. Right before they go and they, and they are like kind of um, going to follow Jesus, Jesus says this to him. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. You don't have any reason to fear those people. Look who, look who Jesus tells them to fear. He says, they can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let's talk about that, Jesus, for a minute. What the heck? It, it all of a sudden got a little real. Well, we look at this and we go, where Jesus is saying, look, the person you need to fear is God alone, who can destroy your, both your soul and body in hell. 
It's, it's okay, church, for us to have a healthy fear of who God is and understand that God is just and that God is a judge and that someday I will and someday you will stand before God and we want, we'll stand in front of him and we have to look at everything will be taken into account, how we lived our lives. Now we're, we're looking at this whole teaching and you're going, Sean, so you're basically telling me I'm going to hell. No, I'm not telling you you're going to hell. I'm telling you, you have a reason to fear God because he holds the power in his hand. But there's, there's an option for you. There's a way out of this. Because every person in this room, myself included, we do possibly, or I shouldn't say possibly, we do deserve hell. I try to keep dancing on the line. They're like, May, I'm afraid I'm going to scare somebody away from church, but Jesus loves you. You'll hear it in a second. Um, but this is the truth. It's the truth of Scripture. It's the, truth, it's the truth of what I'm convicted about. You know, I was just talking to Chuck backstage, and he's like, do you ever just feel bad? And I don't want to feel bad for the way I want to preach because I've been convicted by myself. I read this Scripture for myself, and this is how I believe it is. And so I'm going to preach it like I know it. And if you don't like it, then you can read it for yourself, and you can come to your own convictions on it. But this is just how I see the Scripture and how I see the fear of God, that I need to have a healthy fear of Him, that He has, that there is consequences for my decisions and the way I live my life, but then I also serve a God who is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness that I can someday boldly walk in front of him and, I can, and he will say to me, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, and I will be able to stand before him because he cleanses all my sins and unrighteousness. Listen, the only thing you can do, the only thing I believe that you can do to change this, to change your, your destination, is repent. Oh, man, Sean, you're giving me another one of those words that I don't like to hear in church. Repentance is this. It's a change of heart that results in a change of action. Repentance is not just saying this prayer going, God, I'm sorry. And then we go out Friday and Saturday and we act as if we're not sorry. Repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of action. You know, as a young man, I struggled with, the addiction, with an addiction to pornography. And I really, really struggled with it. But there was a time in my life where I had to look at that addiction, this problem that I am struggling with, and I had to fear God and say, God is going to judge me someday for this. I need to either shape up or I need to just stop following Jesus because there, I just need to come to a conclusion within myself. And so I had this change of heart inside of me, and I said, that's not going to be Sean. I'm not going to be that way. I had this change of heart that resulted in a change of action, and I decided I was no longer going to look at that, that that was not going to be who Sean was going to be. My wife didn't deserve it. God didn't deserve it. So I was going to try my hardest to, to stand on that and to, to not just ask God for forgiveness, but I was going to turn from it. Acts 3.19 says this. It says to repent of your sins, to turn, your, to turn from your sinful ways. And when you do, God will wipe away all of your sins. Repentance is the thing. The fear of God should leave every person, should lead every person in this room to repentance. Every person, not just the person who's gone to church for one minute, or this is your first time here. If this is your first time here, sorry, we're always not this crazy. I'm just a little crazy. Um, but, you know, just the truth of this is that um, I completely lost my train of thought there. I got going. Um, but is this, is that the fear of God should lead every person, whether you've been going to church for 25 years or you've been to church, this is your first time, the fear of God should lead you to repentance. You should say, I am a sinful person. 
but God is a gracious God, and if I ask for forgiveness, my God is faithful and just to do that. It's so good. It's so good. Go to, go to Jonah 3. I want to prove to you how good this is. Because this is going to blow somebody's mind. This is going to set somebody free today. I believe God's going to set some people free today. That you're going to have an opportunity to repent, from, repent of some sins. And God's going to just give you life today. God's going to give you life. So you know the story of Jonah. So what happens here is Jonah is told by God. He's a prophet. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell Nineveh that they're going to be destroyed. Jonah says, no, thank you, God. Peace out. I'm out of here. I'm getting on a ship. I'm going the other way. A, a storm comes, and as the storm comes, the, the other shipmates are wondering what is going on. Why would, why would some God do this? Which, God, which one of us gods did this? And so they're throwing stuff over. They're throwing lots over and all these different things. So it comes to the real, realization, or Jonah comes to this realization, it's because of me. It's because I said no to God. I didn't listen to God. So so he comes to the other shipmates, and he tells them, listen, it's, it's my fault. They take Jonah, and Jonah tells them to throw me overboard. They throw Jonah overboard, and he's swallowed by a big fish. In this fish, Jonah has this moment with God where he's basically, he has a repentant heart, and he asks God to forgive him. And, he's, and he says, I'm going to go. I'll go, and I'll do it. So he goes to Nineveh. He stands before Nineveh, and this, he, gives, he gives Nineveh Eight words. Eight words. It's all he gives them. And this is what he says to them. He says this. He says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. <laughs> That'd be a fun... T- oh, yeah, that sounds great. Um, but I'm going to go down now to, to um, chapter 3, verse 5. This is, what, this is what the city of Nineveh decides to do. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least... They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent out this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and your flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell, King says, he says, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Verse 10, this is where it's good, church. You need to celebrate this. When God saw what they had done, how they were repentant, how they asked God for forgiveness, they turned from their selfish ways and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction they had, that he had threatened. We all, myself included, we deserve, we deserve to Spend eternity in hell. It's, it's what I believe through reading my scripture and reading the Bible as I, read the, as I read the Bible, is that this is what it means. But this scripture here is what it, what's powerful about this whole moment, is that when people are repentant and they turn from their ways, that God will see what we do, what God will see a repentant heart, 
inside of us and how we turn from our evil ways. And God will say, I changed my mind. Sean doesn't deserve hell anymore. He gets eternity with me. This is what makes John 3.16 so good. This is what makes it so powerful is that when people believe, believing is not just going, yep, I think he's there. Believing is, is saying, I believe it, and I'm having a change of life. That when, when we think of scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5.17, that, that this is a new life, that the old life is passed away. We are now new creations in Christ Jesus. That we repent, that we're no longer that person anymore. This, man, this gets me so excited because what every Christian, what, you know, what every Christian, non-Christian needs to do is we need to have a heart of repentance, a, a heart that says, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm sorry for the sins that I've done. Will you forgive me? I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to follow you. And as I follow you, God, will you forgive me? And God will say, I changed my mind. You get eternity in heaven. You deserve it. My son Jesus, the one that I said was worthy, the one that was perfect, who didn't really deserve it, I'm going to give him up for you. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm giving him up for you. Man. The people of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, people of defiance, we deserve it. But like that, that's what makes John 3.16 so powerful. That if we believe, we turn from our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He'll wipe away every sin, he'll make us new. While we sit in this room, and you might have sat in this room and heard the first half of this teaching and thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hell. You don't have to. You don't have to. The, the, it's very clear in this scripture, if you, as you read scripture, that God saw that there was a need. God saw that we were separated from him. If you look in Genesis, I think, I think it's in like chapter 3, Genesis talks about this moment where there's this snake that comes and bites this man, but this man was going to die from this snake, but then also this man was going to stomp on that snake's head and he was going to be dead. And that means that death was no longer, that death was no longer over, but that, that Jesus had won. Just all the way from the beginning. All it takes is people with repentant hearts to have a change of heart that results in a change of action. Then God will look at us and say, yeah, you made a lot of mistakes, but well done, good and faithful servant. You repented of your sins. You turned from your selfish ways. Turn your eyes towards me. I forgive you. I want to end with this scripture in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 through 14. Man, I love Jesus. He's so good. I just, let me read this before I go any further. I put this in here and I wanted to make sure that people, that you guys heard this. The fear, the fear of God should cause us all to take captive every thought. Let me say this. You may be looking at your addiction, your struggles, your whatever, and saying, I can't beat it. You can. With the power of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, you have the power to take captive every thought and say, 
I am not going to fall into temptation. I'm going to follow Jesus. You have the power to take captive every, every thought. Just this week, myself included, I was struggling. I had some temptations in my life, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, Sean, you're talking about the fear of God and how people should turn from sin and turn to Jesus. And I thought, I can't. I got to fear God in this moment and say, I'm going to follow him. So I said no to the temptation in my life. Do you have the same power to say no to the temptation in your life, to take captive those thoughts and to continue to follow Jesus and repent of our sins? Sorry, the fear of God should cause us to take captive our every thought and to repent of our sins and to turn to him. He is faithful, faithful to wipe away the sins of a repentant sinner. Hmm. Ecclesiastes 12. This is, a, this is written... Um, by Solomon. Solomon was known as the wisest man to live. If you read through Ecclesiastes, it's kind of a crazy, he talks about a lot of times how everything's worthless and a lot of different things, and, but he comes, this is what his final conclusion is. He says, he says, this is the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion, and I want to leave you with this as well. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Let me pray for you. God, you're so good to us. As we're in this moment right now, God, I ask that we would check our own hearts. We would look at ourselves, and maybe we have some unresolved sin in our lives that we need to look at and say, I, I, I need to repent. Would you give us boldness today to do that? Continue throughout this week, God, to give us revelation on this. God, I pray that we would get to know more about you and the fear of the Lord and what it means to us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's the truth. People would say, you know, why is, why is what was shared this morning important? The truth is that God is a holy God. God is a righteous God, and no sin can stand in his presence. No sin can be in his presence. Nothing wrong can be in his presence. And so if you're going to try to get closer to God and you have these things in your life, you will not survive that situation. But the good news is Jesus. The good news is Jesus. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that once and for all, Jesus entered into that most holy place and presented himself as a living sacrifice for us so that we no longer had to suffer the consequences of that sin. The difference is, or the, the point is, we have to repent. We have to say, you know what? I am leaving those things behind. I'm not just going to speak words from my mouth, but I'm going to leave those behaviors. I'm going to leave those temptations. I'm going to leave those thoughts behind. And every time they come into my mind or into my life, I'm going to grab hold of them, I'm going to cast them down, and I'm going to run towards God. Run towards God. We're going to pray here in a moment, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to God. And so I'm going to ask that everyone bow their head and close their eyes, just to give people a moment. And so if you're out there and you would say, um, this morning, you know, I've never received Jesus into my heart. I can't fear a God that I don't know, and I want to get to know him. And so I'd like to ask him into my heart for the first time today. I want to ask that you lift up your hand.
I would love the opportunity to pray with you. Anyone at all? Or if you're out there this morning, you would say, you know what, I have um, kind of followed God and kind of not followed God, but really, that word this morning of repent is just blaring in my heart, and there are some things that I need to lay down this morning and repent of and give my heart to God again. I want to ask you to slip up your hand so that we can pray with you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to hear the word and have it applied to our lives, Father God, in a way that will help us to change and become more like you and more like your word says, Father. And so we thank you for, as the scripture calls it, the washing of the word of God. And Father, I believe that this morning there are people in here who are really kind of struggling with some of these things and, and really need to um, hear from you. And so I ask, Father God, that you speak to their hearts directly. You speak to them in words that they will understand, Father. You send people across their path who will remind them of these things that they've heard this morning so that they can respond to you, Father God, and ultimately repent and have their ways changed and follow you. And so I thank you for what you will do for each and every person, Father. I thank you how you'll run after and you'll go after each and every heart. And I pray for each and every individual here that you do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I want you to stand up. On Wednesday nights, we do have an adult group that meets. We have talked a lot about youth church on Wednesday nights, but there is an adult group that meets on Wednesday nights, and we talk about the sermon in a little bit more detail. We talk about what happened on Sunday morning, or the sermon that was preached in a little bit more detail. And so if you have Wednesday nights between 7 and 8 o'clock free, we would encourage you to come out and we can dive into these things a little bit more in a little bit smaller setting. Uh, why don't you turn around and uh, shake hands with about two or three people and tell them we will see you next week. <laughs>